Well, this week we are kicking off a new series entitled Lent, Reflection and Preparation. Now before we get too far down the trail, if you're, when I say the word Lent, you longingly gaze down at your belly button or you maybe think, oh, I forgot to clean out the Lent trap in the dryer. That's not the Lent that we're talking about. We're talking about this season of Lent that we oftentimes tend to, to blow right by in the evangelical church. We, we tend to come to this season and we don't give it a whole lot of thought until we get to maybe Palm Sunday, hopefully Good Friday, and of course Easter when everybody comes to church for the first time. But as we enter the weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter, we often give them little more than a, a thought kind of just becomes kind of an afterthought. We, we tend to take for granted Jesus' ministry, His mission to seek and save the lost, and we ultimately don't tend to acknowledge His journey to the cross as often as maybe we should. Because at the end of the day, He gave up everything. So over the coming weeks, my desire is that we would take a more reflective approach to what God did in sending His Son so that we could have life and, and hopefully enjoy life more abundant, but that we could have that, that hope and, and ultimately share the hope of salvation with other people. The reality is that the journey and process of Lent is something that most of us neither understand or embrace as necessary. Because after all, it's more Catholic and liturgical and it's, you know, we're raised to, to think it's kind of an empty, empty exercise. If you're like me, you grew up in a church where Lent was a foreign word. Like most things, Catholic or liturgical, it was ignored, if not rejected, completely out of hand. In recent years, I've come to see the great richness that exists in reflecting on our need of a Savior and preparing our hearts for what God would desire to do in and through us in this powerful season of remembrance and reflection. I'm now convinced that Lent holds a, an enormous promise for us. This ancient discipline can be a, a pathway to healing and hope in our fractured and fearful world. Because we tend to focus on all the noise and all the things that are happening instead of focusing on what was accomplished as Jesus journeyed toward the cross. See, for most people coming from my background or maybe even our background, I don't know your background, but an Ash Wednesday service or an observance of Lent are, are foreign concepts and some, somewhat threatening maybe. Where we go, I don't know about this whole, you know, taking ashes and putting it on my forehead. And, you know, I can see some of you kind of looking at me going, where's he going with all this? Lent kind of appears to be dark and ritualistic. It reminds us, those of us not raised Catholic, of ritualism or works or fasting or vigils and the like. But haven't we been saved from all that? I mean, preparing for Easter for seven weeks seems unthinkable 
It's too much time. Maybe for you it even think it even seems pagan or like something you shouldn't even anticipate thinking about. But in a day and age when spiritual disciplines seem to have lost much of their value in our lives, I would ask, who is the pagan? I would ask, who is the one really not observing the importance and the value of the journey of Jesus to the cross, of the death and resurrection of Christ? Because too often we just kind of let this all go and then we arrive mysteriously at Easter and we go, isn't this great? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, yay. Of course, it's wrong to go through the, the motions of spirituality and observing Lent in a mechanical, uninvolved way, but I would contend it's also wrong to ignore any kind of reflection and preparation for the life and hope that is given through the miraculous Easter story. So today I want to begin our conversation by grappling with the topic of death as it's revealed in Scripture. Most of us tend to forget that without death, resurrection would not have been possible. We arrive at Easter and we're like, yeah, resurrection's great. But we forget, we forget that Jesus had to die. And he had to die a horrible death for us to arrive at Resurrection Sunday. See, death is an uncomfortable topic for the majority of us. We, we either try to hide it or turn it into a, a welcome friend. The Bible defines death, however, as a, the greatest enemy to humanity. An enemy which Jesus defeated once and for all. So which is it? Death? Great enemy or welcome friend? Is, what, is, what is death? Because we have this weird contention with the finality of death. And so I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't, uh, the Scriptures will be on the screen. If you want to dive a little bit deeper and take some digital notes, you can uh, jump on the Uversion Bible app and search events, and you will find Neighborhood Church there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50, I'm going to try and do this without my glasses, says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the, imper with, clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for victory. We thank You that Jesus died, but, but he, the, the story doesn't stop there. That we can experience victory. But we have to acknowledge death. We have to acknowledge sin in order for us to understand our need of a Savior. So Father, speak to our hearts today. Help us to understand our need of You. Help us to embrace the areas of our lives that we have yet to surrender. Understanding that You've called us to follow You completely. So Father, we love You and we thank You for speaking to us and changing us and transforming us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, it's an interesting passage of Scripture because it begins to extrapolate the issue of sin. It begins to talk about this, this eternal hope, this impending return of Jesus. The thing that we all look forward to with anticipation. The thing that, that the nation of Israel was looking forward to when they were crying Hosanna. And yet we don't typically embrace that our sin, the death that we experience, cannot coexist with the light and the love of God. See, death is the great problem that faces every human. Every one of us will face death. And the gift of life is often weighed down by the impending certainty of death. We struggle with the finality of death. We struggle with the, the grief and loss that surrounds death. But the idea of death is first introduced in Scripture very early on. In Genesis 2, we hear God telling Adam and Eve, if they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good of good and evil, they will surely die. Did he mean natural death? Well, we see that they didn't die, did they? So maybe the devil was half right? No, no. When he said, you will surely die, he was saying, you will be separated from me. Our communion and our closeness and our connection will be severed. And that is death. Separation from God. Death is, is, is separation. It's the sin. It's the, it's the decision that we make to turn our back on what God is desiring for our lives. And to turn our back on what Jesus did at the cross. The truth is death became the enemy to every one of us only after sin entered the world. Because up until that point, it was good times, baby. It was like D's shirt. Good vibes. You know? It was just, everything was good. But when sin entered the world, it fractured our relationship with Father God. See, until that time, God's created were in perfect communion and relationship with their Creator. They were one. They were walking together. They were spending time together. But the challenge every one of us is what the Apostle Paul points out 
immediately. In verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That means in our present state, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. God, when Jesus returns, will be changed. The phrase flesh and blood was a way that the Jews spoke of the frailty of humanity. That every one of us is frail. That every one of us is in decline. Even when we're born, we begin to decline. It speaks to what the King James Version of Scripture calls the corruptible nature of our bodies. The perishable becomes corruptible. So because we have this sin nature that we're born into, we're corruptible. It's not possible for this body we are given to inherit the imperishable or the incorruptible because we're corruptible. None of us is perfect. None of us has been made to be perfect. We're only allowing ourselves to be changed daily by God. This means that we are bound by sin in our bodies and we're not ready for the spiritual world. It's a difficult pill to swallow because we tend to like to focus on the good stuff. Hope and excitement and resurrection and all the good things that come with spirituality, but we we tend to not focus on the death part. That we are born into a sin nature, that we all have depravity. And if we can't grapple with and embrace that, then how are we ever going to be able to truly appreciate what was done on our behalf? We cannot stay the way we are. We need a spiritual body. Earthly dress is unfit for heavenly habitation you don't just get to stay the way you are and inherit the kingdom of God that's not what we see in scripture anywhere and Paul's explaining this he calls it a mystery in scripture because it's hard to understand it's hard for us to fathom because we don't exist in a mindset of eternity the need for resurrection is not something that had previously been explained but it was concealed This whole idea. But now we have the answer. We understand. Because we see what Jesus did. But even so, too often we tend to live day to day, not not really seeing or sensing much meaning beyond just existing. If I could just make it through today. If I can just make it to to Friday. If I could just make it to the weekend. And everything's going to be good. I can find myself... Some weeks just desiring to get through the week and I can enjoy a quiet Saturday with nothing to do or, you know, the the therapy of yard work. I don't know. (laughs) No? Okay. But I mean, we, we find ourselves just trying to get past the week. I can remember back when I worked for Jeldwin Windows and I was working in a production facility and was, was helping manage these different production lines and the hours were long. We were working 14 and 16 hour days and I would just get home and I would be exhausted 
and all I want to do was fall into bed and hopefully maybe not wake up. <laughs> but, you know, when I did wake up, it was just kind of wash, rinse, repeat. You know, you, you, you just kind of kept going. You know, it's like that old adage, it just feels like the hamster wheel sometimes where you're just like, okay, I don't know where we're going, but, you know, tell me when we get there. For Gretchen and I, at times, the, the, the church was the only, the only thing that broke up the monotony of our lives. Being in a place where we could worship, being involved in ministry, it was really the only thing that, that brought strength and hope to our lives. But we can most certainly get caught in the cycle of merely just existing. Just kind of going day to day. Now, God, I think my purpose is just to kind of get get by. But at the end of the day, the frailty of human life is something with which we all have to grapple. We all have to struggle through the dynamics of life. For many, this leaves them uncertain, questioning their purpose, and wondering how to experience full life with the looming realities of death. How do we live life abundant when we know <laughs> the end game? Because the truth is, definite inevitably brings about different responses for each and every one of us. Throughout human history, people have disagreed with what to do with the concept, the experience, the, the finality of death. It's been debates forever. We live in a society that constantly works to preserve young and youthful appearances like mine. We try to slow the aging process. We hope to somehow defy the reality that every one of us is slowly breaking down. I figured that out this morning when I woke up, actually. But truly, we, we, we seem to be reminded of this every time we exercise, do, do yard work, when I happen to sneeze and, you know, throw my back out or pinch a nerve. I can't, I can't eat, eat cheese in large quantities anymore. Just say bad things happen to good people. I mean, we, we're, just, we're in this constant state of breaking down. I've, I've always told Gretchen, when I, when I lose my hair or it turns gray, or both, <laughs> sorry, Right? I'm not going and getting plugs. I'm not, you know, combing anything into my beard or my, you know, it's just it's not happening. I'm not that vain. But she's, I'm sure she's probably still going to love me. Maybe. I don't even know. I don't. Anyways. But we seem to want to hide the reality surrounding death. People investing in potions and creams and plastic surgery. The answer becomes obsessing over fitness and healthy eating. Anything to stay away from disease and death. We steer, steer clear of hospitals and assisted living facilities. We don't like to hear when people have been moved to hospice care because we don't know how to respond. Society has a way of wanting to sanitize death. Because it's hard. It's, it's hard to embrace. And we're not much better in the church. Sorry. 
Many faithful followers of Jesus are still confused about death's place in the life of a believer. We tend to look at death as a welcome friend. But do anybody feel like, does anybody really feel like they're staring death in the face and we're like, hello, friend? No, it's, it's a struggle. With, with heartfelt sincerity, we, we, we say things to our loved ones like, so-and-so has entered into their eternal reward or they've fought the good fight and they've finished their race. We try to come up with some verbiage, scriptural or not, that helps us feel better about what's going on or helps someone else have comfort. But it doesn't take away the sting of death, the grief, the loss, the struggle. We mean well in understanding that through Jesus we possess an eternal hope, and yet our finite understanding of life and death tends to exist solely in the physical realm. Yes, we embrace the reality of the spiritual promise, but we've not yet experienced it, so it's hard to really grasp. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10. Solomon writes, there's a time for everything and a season for every act, activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. And verse 11, he, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet, they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. So God has given us life. And it's good. And yet we can't embrace eternity. Because it's a long time. And it doesn't make sense in our minds. So in order to truly understand the proper response to death, we, we have to first embrace every one of us was born into sin. Into death. The good news is God so loved that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, not be separated from God, but have eternal life. That's good news. See, victory over death comes through Jesus' death and resurrection. By Jesus having to die, he went and took death on, head on. And he had victory. The promise of victory over death and the grave is accomplished only through Jesus. See, as we face the challenges of life and the ever-present reality of death, it's natural we ask, how is victory over death even given? Paul says, says to us in verse 51 that this is a great mystery. The key to understanding this mystery is found in verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When we think about perishables, we often think about food. <laughs> but what does it mean for something to be perishable or corruptible? 
Think of a banana peel that's been peeled and thrown out, right? Nobody likes to see them on our counter or in the garbage or in the yard. Over time, it begins to wither because it has no life in and of itself. It cannot sustain apart from the vine. It's perishable. And we're really no different. As we grow older, we begin to wither. As much as as our culture wants to explore and strive to discover renewable and sustainable sources of energy, the truth is everything in the universe is perishing. And unable to sustain itself. Natural resources, man-made roads, bridges, buildings, everything is falling apart. Even the sun will eventually burn out. Kind of an amazing thing. Sustainable energy, solar panels, no more sun. The truth is there's only one who is imperishable and incorruptible. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God who, is alone, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honor and might forever. Amen. See, God is the only imperishable, incorruptible. But how could God, who is immortal, incorruptible, imperishable, retrieve us from death? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the victory over the enemy of death is through the person of God who came in human flesh and His Son Jesus Holy man, holy God. Holy perishable, and yet imperishable. Let that one rattle around in your noodle for a little while. God literally had to put on the perishable nature of humankind. He had to become corruptible. As John 1.14 says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. See, the mystery and miracle of God's love is that in Jesus, the imperishable nature of God is united to the perishable nature of man. How crazy is that? God fills the darkness of the world with His light, and death is defeated. Did you hear that? God fills the darkness of the world with His light, And death is defeated. Is that good news for anybody? Hey! Even though you're dead, you are alive. Beautiful. What we have to understand is that Jesus' victory gives hope and should motivate us to share this hope of new life. When we approach Easter and when we approach Lent season and when we approach Palm Sunday and Good Friday and this Passion Week, is it with hope and anticipation? Or is it just kind of like, eh? Did you, get the, did you get the chocolate bunnies for the kids? Did you make sure you get the jelly belly? Things that I like so much. I really like the Starburst jelly beans. Those ones are good. Because sometimes it just becomes a little more than a checklist. 
Jesus' victory should motivate us to share the life and the hope that we have, that we've found in Jesus. See, when we choose to embrace the enormity of Jesus' victory over death and the grave and receive the victory that is found there, we should have no other desire than to share that hope with everyone we meet. Everybody. Not just those we feel comfortable with. Like, oh, I kind of like this person. They're easy to talk to. Easy to get along. Do you know Jesus? No, everyone. Why do we allow the circumstances of this life to get the better of us? Why do we shy away from sharing the hope that we found in Jesus? Why? I'm not just asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself. What is it that stops us just short of sharing the story of God's transforming power in our lives? We're okay to talk about where we work and how many kids we have and kind of some of those ancillary elements of life, but the transforming power that brought us from death to life, we can't bring that up in conversation. I'm not saying we have to be spiritual nut jobs that just run around like, God, oh, you know. Because nobody wants to talk to those people, right? We don't need to turn people off from God's plan for their lives. It just seems that as we anticipate the celebration of Easter, that we should be just a bit more motivated to see others come to the saving power of Jesus. Understanding that as Romans 8 tells us, the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I know we can't wrap our brain around that, but the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. I mean, come on, people. That's incredible. You have an endowment of power that when you step out the door, you should be shining like a light bulb and people go, what is, what, is, what is different about that guy? What is different about her? Paul's encouragement at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 should ring true for each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does it say? Always give yourselves what? Oh, Jesus, help me. I'm just going to go back here and curl up in a ball. Seriously. Always give yourselves what? Fully. It's a choice. And I'm not saying it's easy. But what an incredible promise when we give ourselves over to the work of the Lord. Not what we want to do. Not what we want to see happen in our lives. 
Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means one moment of your life is not wasted. Because when you labor for the Lord, (laughs) it changes the scope of eternity for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, for your neighbors, for that lady that you met in the aisle and looking at the peeps, you know, the little weird marshmallow chickens for Easter, for her. Your labor is not in vain. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. Too often we allow the worries and the concerns and ultimately the evil of the world to overwhelm us. But here's the truth. Darkness is actually not a thing itself. Do you realize that? It's just the absence of a thing. Namely, light. If we turn the lights off, it's going to get dark. But dark is not a thing. thing. All you have to do is flip the lights on. And darkness is gone. It's the absence of a thing. When you flip a light on in a room, there is no epic battle between light and darkness. No, it's light. (laughs) It's just kind of a reality. See, light fills the absence with its presence. And we see Jesus' victory in that He went into the darkness of death itself and flipped the light on. He flipped the light and life of hope. See, Jesus' victory over death and darkness has already been won. We need only allow the light and life of the hope we've found in Jesus to shine brightly in a world that desperately, desperately needs Him. We tend to look at the world and we go, oh, it's evil. It's dark. It's just the absence of light. But when we allow the light of God to shine through us and we walk into a place, it's no longer dark. It's no longer evil because the two can't coexist. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light under a bowl, but they put it on its stand. And that light gives light to everyone in the house. Are we willing to be the light? Richard Rohr in his book, as we close this morning, he wrote a book called Wondrous Encounters. He simultaneously encourages us and challenges us to embrace and understand this season of reflection and preparation called Lent. He writes, there are two moments that matter. One is when you know that your one and only life is absolutely valuable and alive. The other is when you know your life as presently lived is entirely pointless and empty. See, you need both of them to keep you going in the right direction. Lent is about both. 
The first such moment gives you energy and joy connecting with your ultimate source and ground. The second gives you limits and boundaries and a proper humility so you keep seeking the source and ground and not just your small self. We need to understand that God has created us with a plan and a purpose and a life that has been gifted to us, and yet it's not our own. There should be this humility and this brokenness understanding that the life that was given to us was given so that we could live it for Him. As we navigate these next weeks together, we need to strive to surrender the burden of death that accompanies sin and literally empty ourselves of our preconceived notions of what it means to live. God is our source, and when we choose to live a life fully devoted to Him, only then will we come to know God and be fully known by God. It's then we can shed the enemy of death and experience real life through Jesus. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we pray? Father God, we are nothing without you. We thank you for this life that you've given us, this light that you've called us to be in the midst of darkness. And we also understand, God, this life is not our own. It was bought with a price. So God, we ask that you teach us by your Scriptures, by communion with one another and communion with you, prayer, fellowship, that we would learn what it means to shine the light of Jesus. That we would learn what it means to live life. Not afraid of death, but embracing that we are nothing without You. Embracing that we are sin and death without the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would never live a moment of our life without purpose. But that we would give ourselves fully to Your work, God. Understanding that You will bring about a harvest in due season if we don't grow weary. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room, outside of this room, every one of us, Father, that we would come to a place of full surrender. that we would empty ourselves out over these next few weeks, that You might fill us with that same power that raised Your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead so that we can go out and share the light in a dark and dying world. Father, we need Your help. We need Your courage. We need Your power. We need Your strength. We need Your wisdom. We thank You that we're not alone. We don't do this on our own. This morning, if you've come into this place, perhaps you've been navigating a life that's 
in need of transformation, you've come to this place where you say, yeah, I know what it means to be dead. But I truly want to understand what it means to be alive. If you journeyed away from God, if you've been away, or you've, you're, you're coming back to that realization of your need of Him, we want to give you the opportunity to step into relationship, to step into new life, to step out of death and into light. So we're going to say a prayer. We believe that what Scripture says in Romans is true. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be given new life. We can shine a light in the darkness. So can we say this prayer together? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe Your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with You. I ask You today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for You. In Jesus' name, Amen.